0: Tano and the commander, send all remaining troops to my position. I said, hold your fire, Jesse. I have the situation under control. You have your order, sir. Now execute it, or I will. The order was to execute the Jedi for treason against the (laughs) Republic. The problem is, Ahsoka Tano is no longer a Jedi. Hasn't been for some time.
1: over 150 hours of Star Wars on film. This is the Star Wars binge, where we select, order, and elevate the best 40 hours of the Star Wars canon. My name is Jeff Cook. I'm a philosopher in Greeley, Colorado, and in Chicago, Illinois, is the Daniel Mothershed, playwright, comedian, and pop culture enthusiast.
2: Yes, this is the sound of my voice.
1: Daniel, we're closing out the prolopsis. Uh, In this introductory scene right here, with ahsoka being led out by rex going into this arc i thought this was going to be their solution she has stepped away from the jedi order therefore the clones won't be targeting her Mm. and so i was actually really surprised when when they went down the the rex uh hunting her down and shattered i'm not exactly sure why it is the case that this answer isn't sufficient yeah isn't
2: it jesse who says emperor palpatine said all of them just any of them Any and all of them.
1: It's just all force wielders need to be eliminated. Because, I
2: mean, Darth Maul is part of that as well, and he's not a Jedi.
1: Yeah. And Rex, in that episode, he commands them to go down and execute Maul. And it does feel like it's flowing out of that order. Yeah. We're going to see that in the future, Vader is bringing into his command force wielders and using them to help him other jedi they're called inquisitors he brings in these dark he brings in force users and and teaches them the dark side
0: the jedi knights are all but destroyed and yet your task is not complete inquisitor the emperor has foreseen a new threat rising against him the children of the force they must not become jedi yes lord vader hunt down this new enemy And if they will not serve the Empire, eliminate them along with any surviving Jedi who would train them. This is my master's command. And so it will be done.
1: So eventually, I should say, all Force users are not being eliminated. Oh, yeah. It might also be the case, I could totally see Palpatine, like, slowly, systematically just killing all Force users, though. He's just... Using them to kill each other, and eventually he's going to be the only one left. That would totally be a Palpatine. That would be a Palpatine thing to do.
2: <laughs> yes, it would. When you say Palpatine, do you mean Darth <laughs> Sidious? Mean Darth Sidious.
1: <laughs> Thank you for the clarification. I that was were... <laughs> that's important. Let the let the
2: listener understand. Oh my God! Wait a minute. Are they the same guy?
1: <laughs> the clones actually are physically moved by what Rex says, and they lower their guns for a moment. And it's like, oh, this might work. But then Jesse shoots back up and says,
0: Sir, you said yourself we're under special order from Darth Sidious to eliminate Ahsoka Tano and any other clone who disobeys
3: Order 66.
1: And while they're talking, we see the three droids flanking the clones on the left side, and apparently Rex and Ahsoka are distractions. And R7 beeps, and Ahsoka sees the droids working, and she whispers, Just keep on talking a little bit longer. Rex says,
0: Jesse. Jesse, listen to me. We've known each other a long time. If we don't get this right, we will be the ones committing treason, not her. Jesse. Commander Rex, you're in violation of Order 66. I accuse you of treason against the Grand Army of the Republic. You'll be demoted in rank, commander, and subject to execution, along with the traitor Ahsoka Tata. You
1: got thoughts here?
2: Well, the whole scene is really great, and it's it's such a Star Wars thing to to try the. All right, let's make it look like I've captured you, so we can walk into mm-hmm. essentially walk into danger, hopefully unscathed. In the same sense of Han and Luke donning stormtrooper uniforms and escorting Chewie through. The Death mm-hmm. Star, that, that that thing that you could, and it's just a great film trope, dressing up or pretending to be the enemy in the same way that Indiana Jones puts that Nazi uniform on to infiltrate mm-hmm. that. Or in The Wizard of Oz, they put on the the winky guard right. uniform to sneak into the witch's castle. Like It's, it's such a great film trope. Um, it doesn't work, but it, well, it never does. It, it's, it's cool to see that. Call back to the first first Star Wars episode.
1: Leia. Leia bringing in Chewie into Jabba's Palace. Someone made right there. Ooh. Yeah.
2: God, I didn't even no. think about that one.
0: She's a pizza. It
2: also seems like there's a lot of things being read into Order Sixty Six by everybody where it's like it kinda started as like kill all the Jedi and now it's like but also all the force mm-hmm. users. But also anyone who looks like they might be nice to the force users. And also these like just it, it seems like each character is interpreting an order in kind of a different way. Yeah. And this is also the only time we see the other members of, of the clone troopers give up the Extremity of of following this order, yeah, in in a way that we haven't seen him be like, wait a second, yeah, except for one guy. So it's just it's confused. Some of that is a little confusing to me where that
1: comes into play. But um, they suddenly have a realization. You're gaslighting, huh? You think you're making me think I'm crazy?
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: You know what? I didn't uh, to take it a step further. You know who else brings in a prisoner in order to undermine is both Vader in Return of the Jedi. He does want to kill Sidious, and he brings Luke to him. Uh, oh, and that's also what Kylo Ren does in uh, Last Jedi. He's bringing in Rey because he does want to kill Snoke. That's right. And both of those are that, that they're successful. Obviously, <laughs> not successful here. Yep. But yeah, you're you're correct. I didn't think about that as a trope, but it's this is this is real common, huh?
2: If it works, <laughs> I guess 50% of the time, if it works, do it.
1: The relational quality of Rex's answer, I think, is important here. When he says that, you know, we have been friends, we've known each other a long time, this is entirely true. We're going to see a handful of times where Rex and Jesse are fighting alongside each other. We're going to see Jesse save Rex's life the first time that we meet Jesse They are battling alongside each other at such a high level that they even fight at times about strategy in the midst of battle in some episodes, which that's just upper level brotherhood. Mm -hmm. We've done the depthy work, and yet still it's again an Order 66 thing of even that, these clones can't get past it, can't get past their uh, programming. In fact, Jesse was tortured at the beginning of this arc in order to protect Ahsoka Tano and Rex and his other brothers, huh? Yep. I'll go back to it, man. That's This event is just so well constructed and the Clone Wars bring out a ton of the power of Order 66 and really mark it as the most important event. I wanna say this, I just think that's right. I think this is the most important event in the Star Wars canon. Aside from the revelation of Baby Yoda, of course. (laughs) Yeah, sure. Yeah,
0: much like being a commander anyway. (laughs) Company.
1: This is so authentic that it's not just we're going to execute you. Jesse saying that you'll be demoted in rank from commander and then subject to execution feels very authentic, you know? Like Mm -hmm. that's actually how it's done. They got some real people, military people giving them some language here.
2: Oh, sure. Yeah, absolutely.
1: And then they build on it. I didn't like being a commander much anyway. It's not it's a good joke. Before all of the action unleashes.
2: Yeah, no, it's 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 great.
1: What do you call that? That feels like a movie trope where you say a joke right before all hell breaks loose.
2: I don't necessarily think that's a named trope. I think it's just making jokes.
1: In lord of the rings in the two towers you'll know this at helms deep there's the old guy who's holding his bow and arrow mm-hmm. and he's struggling and they accidentally loses an arrow and it goes flying and it hits an orc in the neck <laughs> the orc goes down and all the rest of the orcs get really mad and then they they yell and and battle's on it just starts with that joke
2: i guess it breaks tension yeah again just to say it's just jokes yeah so it begins. It's such a tense scene yeah. leading up to that. You've got the guy struggling with the thing and you've got all the orcs and, and it is like, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God. And then <laughs> that moment where he accidentally lets go of the arrow. It's like, <gasps> <laughs> <laughs> like something you just need something to happen. And, and, and fortunately, it's a joke.
1: The other thing this reminds me of is uh, in Tombstone they're at the it's the OK Corral. They're at the OK Corral and they're all lined up and they're they're nobody has drawn yet. There's just tension, tension, tension. And Doc Holliday looks at one of the dudes and winks. <laughs> <laughs> and the guy gets offended. Mm-hmm. And he's going to draw for his gun. And Wyatt Earp says, Oh my
0: god. <laughs>
1: and and it felt like that to me
2: yeah oh that's funny that feels very much like a trope where it's 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 less even the joke and more the more the someone having to acknowledge like oh well (laughs) i guess this is our only option now (laughs) just that like surrender to the inevitability of like all right well i didn't much enjoy doing this anyways now we start fighting
1: it's the trigger he doesn't like being a commander anyway and in good news you can call him Captain or sir, I bet. <laughs> Clones take aim, droids are positioned, and then a bell goes off, it's like signaling a warning, and the floor drops out of the hangar, for like in pieces. A bunch of the clones are now in the basement. And this two-level tier system is going to be important for, for the listener listening. This may be mm-hmm. difficult to follow, but I'll consistently say there's the hangar, and then there's the basement. Yep. Um, but the basement's like three or four stories underneath, and, and half the clones fall down and are knocked unconscious. Again, not hurting anyone, but dropping them four stories. Right.
2: Yeah. Well, I also like, as the as the droids are doing this, one of them giggles.
1: Yeah, right. Like like, <laughs> giggles. <laughs> They're mischievous, them droids.
2: But again, it's just another argument, as, as we have made ah, and will sure. continue to make in this show, is just another argument for the fact that they are not just robots. Yeah. They they have feelings and thoughts and emotions because one giggles, <laughs> which is the, one of the most human things you can do.
1: True. That, we've seen uh, in short circuit, that's how one of the characters proves that number five is truly alive is he tells a joke and the robot laughs.
2: Isn't the joke he tells the, we, we get a bunch of, it's like three different like religious leaders are all together talking about what they do with money. And one of them finally says, we'll get it. We'll take all the money, throw it in the air and what God wants, he keeps. And then everyone's like, that's a terrible (laughs) joke. And then slowly Johnny five is just undone by this terrible joke.
1: Johnny five. I forgot about that changed his name <laughs> jesse turns and looks at what's just happened all he's lost all of like half his forces and ahsoka just pushes him over the edge with the force it's my favorite <laughs> force push of the episode
2: definitely the funniest
1: rex tosses ahsoka her blades and begins stunning clones ahsoka ignites her sabers slices one clone but barrel in half and this <laughs> the clone actually looks at his gun like Well, that didn't work. And and then he gets zapped. (laughs) Oops! She's pushing remaining clones out of the way, and then they start firing across the cavern that's been created. Real common, their battle posture where Ahsoka is blocking blasts and Rex from behind her is firing the stuns. What do you call those? Stun bolts? Stun shots? Yeah, stun bolts. Let's just, we'll, we'll trademark that. We'll, we'll contribute to the Star Wars canon. These are officially yep. those blue circles. They're called stun bolts, y'all. Done. <laughs> door opens on the side, and we see Maul stepping. And he sees the hangar door open, and he sees the shuttle. And the droids begin screaming, warning Ahsoka of Maul. And Ahsoka signals to Rex that they need to move. And then she launches herself over that cavern. And as she flies through the air her legs take on this very Spider-Man looking posture for me and her blades are drawn and she just looks great. They use a lot of Spider-Man, I think, in terms of Ahsoka's physicality in this. The way she lands with a leg kicked out, the way she flies through the air with those, yeah, that kind of like triangular shape in her legs. It's just gorgeous. And she begins stalking Maul. Maul says, You want in this chaos. Ah! <laughs> a lot of description of action going on here. So if Yeah, Daniel and I joked before this episode that it might be a description of all the action and us going, yeah, that was cool. That was beautiful. Mm -hmm. Pretty pretty amazing. (laughs) Maul throws a set of storage containers at her and she elegantly ducks the first two hurdles over the last, again, Spider-Man-esque. And she's positioned to strike Maul, who screams and then force pushes her back. And this catches her off balance. And she is thrown towards the cavern and she reaches out her blades, and she uses them as brakes before going over the edge, and Gigi rolls over, shoots out a winch cable over the side, which she catches, and Rex and Gigi look over the side, and she's dangling there, and a dozen clones we see below her waking up slowly from their unconscious state as she's climbing back up the cable, and Jesse is the first, and he reawakens, and all those below now reenter the action from the basement and they start firing at ahsoka anything we're saying there awesome <laughs> yeah, that's, right. that's awesome, awesome. it's amazing
2: <laughs> that's real i actually i don't actually have more <laughs> than that it's just very cool
1: hey uh, daniel any existential issues we can talk here about modern politics and and the failure of uh, violence in, uh, in our culture Well,
2: in a sense, aren't we all barely hanging on by a cable right now as we perhaps wait to be saved by (laughs) stimulus checks or economic bailouts? (laughs) Is that what you wanted? Did I I get it?
1: I'm I'm actually (laughs) emotionally moved by by this scene in a way I hadn't been before. I thought of
2: other things to say, but they're maybe a little too on the nose. (laughs) And maybe a little too aggressive.
1: Jesse yells out, get these lifts activated, get up there and fire on those droids. And we cut to Maul, who's taken over the shuttle. Again, this is the object of our hero's desire, and Maul is now piloting.
2: Yeah, yeah. that's literally the, what does the character want and what is preventing it from happening?
1: (laughs) That. Taking off. And he begins to fly out of the hangar, and Ahsoka pulls herself back over the ledge, Knows Maul is trying to escape, Hurdles over the cavern again, runs down towards the shuttle, and as Maul is beginning to ignite the burners, Ahsoka catches the shuttle with the force and begins pulling it back. And we see Rex running up to help her as she struggles. Physicality-wise, there's a good human moment here because Rex grabs her arm, and it's not a handshake. It's like grabbing the, the forearm. And... The arms begin to slip, and for whatever reason, as I was watching it through, that just seemed like another human moment for these characters who I don't know how often i don't they don't hug each other um she touched his face with the helmet, they salute each other, which we've talked about in the past, but there's not a lot of physical affection between these characters. Yeah. It, I mean, I make I could be proven wrong there. Uh, there will be a lot more physical affection, I know, in Rebels. The, the this just stri- struck me as unique, and it, it's clearly highlighted. The director like focuses in on it as something worthwhile. It's kind of like, and this is a bad example, but it's kind of like Hannibal Lecter touching Clarice's finger was what kind of reminded me. of There's just a human a human connection when there hasn't oh. been for a for for a long time.
2: T- to me, it felt more like a like a stabilizing or a grounding as she's trying to pull this thing. She's using the force, but the pull of this object is so much that it's moving her and destabilizing yeah. her. So to me, it felt much more like a like a am going to keep you grounded, which I guess plays into what you're saying as well. But like, just sort of like a let, let's let's keep her from being pulled away by this thing mm-hmm. as well.
1: The peril side of this is elevated because she's being pulled by Maul's ship, and they're they're being moved. The clones are clearly firing on them as well, and R7 rolls up to help alongside Rex. And then this droid that has been with her since the beginning then gets shot in the head and makes the same sound R2-D2 does in New Hope, it sounds like. I mean, they may have ripped that audio, and he falls to the ground, and there's just another measure of oh things are going badly uh yeah. it happens
2: yeah the heroes are not winning at this point
1: and rex yells Can't hold them all. Them. and so that should kind of give us yeah that, that, you know, we see ahsoka slowly choose at this moment she can keep trying to pull maul back But you see her, the director really makes this elongated. Um, There's a moment where she just slowly decides to let go. And this is the non-attachment that I wanted to come back to. I think that this was the object of her desire. This was safety. They don't know of any other way to get out. And for whatever reason that, that I'm going to loosen my grip and let go mm-hmm. came up. And the thing that hit me is another New Hope callback. It's before the Death Star is destroyed. That's the first thing that Obi-Wan Kenobi says about Luke.
0: Use the Force, Luke.
3: Let go.
1: But there's something about the letting go. I, th- I thought that was exemplified here.
2: Because it does feel like hanging on to, hanging on to this thing is actually going to cause you harm and kill you and harm the people that you care about right in the same way that it, it makes me think a little bit of in Indiana Jones in the last crusade when when the ground has split and and his father Henry Jones yeah. has has him and then he sees the grail and he's going for it's the it's the the whole thing is in the search for that and he's trying to get it trying to get it he's gonna die I can almost reach it, Dad. Indiana Indiana Sean Connery finally says let it go that's the yeah it feels like a moment like that where it's like even though this is the object of the the desired object the the narrow minded vision on it is potentially going to be more dangerous than anything else
1: adept letting it go allows her to re-engage helping her friend Mm -hmm. in some ways they're the only two left aside from the droids that have been helping them who won't be with them for much longer? But she's releasing that. I'm gonna protect my friend. Fun story about uh, "Let It Go." You and I have a friend who got a tattoo after some traumatic events in her life that just said "Let It Go" on her wrist. And the next, and one month later, Frozen came out. <laughs> and she was, oh. she was so mad. <laughs> yeah, it's like I was doing this oh. to get my heart right. <laughs> Now I got a Disney tattoo
2: Even as I said Indiana let it go My stupid pop culture brain Went to Frozen And I was like Don't, <laughs> don't, don't say anything Here's <laughs> <laughs> well, the hard thing about that That's actually a good song <laughs> Bobby and Kristen Lopez Are amazing songwriters and, and God It's just been ruined By everybody's stupid Three year old kids That have just ground it down To a stump That's maybe the most, like, bold, heartless thing I've said in our (laughs) time recording this podcast.
1: saying a lot, Daniel. (laughs) It really is.
2: (laughs) Al Pacino's overrated. People and their damn children ruining things.
1: Amal flies away, and the lone villain who escapes the destruction of this large space battle station being destroyed... That's the image, and it's again a New Hope callback. Mm -hmm. We got some identical imagery here to Vader at the end of New Hope, getting his bearings and then entering hyperspace. I also think this isn't a cheat. This isn't like the villain getting away at the end right before Superman puts the handcuffs on him so that he can be there for the next time. Mm -hmm. I feel like this is really earned. Maul's story, he destroys the hyperdrive. He slips into the hangar. This is the only place that there are spaceships. He gets to the ship first. He gets out. I mean, the villain escaping without having to have a final lethal confrontation with the hero, it's just well composed.
2: And her choosing to let him go is a thing, too, where, where yeah. he's not really the villain in this episode. Mm. he I mean, he is because he is, mm. but in this circumstance in in the episode prior and in this episode he is doing the thing the hero asked him to do right so in a sense it is the help us and in return you get your mm-hmm. freedom ostensibly mm-hmm. not only from this box that you've been put into but at the end of this episode you get you just get to yeah. leave
1: are there any other... I'm sure this is another kind of movie trope where you've had to partner with somebody who's awful.
2: We mentioned Silence of the Lambs. That's sure right up top.
1: Everybody seems to be getting what they want. And then the awful person then says, oh, but I'm going to take all the goodies for myself.
2: I'm still going to say Silence <laughs> of the Lambs because he gets away at the end. Sure. And escapes to South America. Yeah. Every Ocean's 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, then 8... <laughs> Movie is kind of like that a little bit where it's like they steal the thing, they kind of get caught, but then they still kind of win at the end, even though like they sort of work with the cops and the, specifically Oceans 8, which is the most recent one. It's like they yeah, steal the thing, team up with the cops, but then kind of still steal the thing. I
1: suppose in my head is more like a Loki move where Thor and Loki are helping each other oh, and Loki yeah. gets out and he's like, ah, sorry, <laughs> his ambitions were mall ambitions. Yeah, that's a good one. Well, we then see Rex and Ahsoka then begin to be encircled. So they have given... She is let go, but now they're in this position of peril. They are being overrun. And I know that this is going to be one of your favorite moments from the episode where she takes her two lightsabers. They, they can't get out, and she throws them to the ground, but they, they stick in the hangar floors. And then she begins spinning them around her in a circle of about 10 feet, cutting the floor. It's so good. (laughs) It's impressive. It's so good. The floor is cut out from underneath them. It it crashes into the basement. Rex lands against the floor beaten up and Ahsoka again looks like Spider-Man landing on her feet. Got some sabers raised. (laughs)
2: <laughs> it's it's so good.
1: There's something about Rex routinely getting beaten up by the actions of the force wielders. You know what I mean? We're, we're going to see this <laughs> over and again where he's, he's just this ragdoll at times getting just yep. chucked around. And he's like, okay, well, I guess that's how it works. It's part of the gig. They get up. But of course, Jesse's troops are on the basement level. And now they're facing 100 clones again. <laughs> and
3: the, mm-hmm.
1: the droids, however, that are on the main level um, are, are doing their thing and they suddenly lift the lifts back up and all the clones shoot into to the air and, and this is a success. These droids save the day until they're found out and this is an emotional moment for me. We've talked about mm-hmm. this with the droids. I have a theory about why it's emotional but eight clones see that they're the ones responsible for sabotage and they go over and they line up in, in execution style. Just unload on these two droids who we just met. What are your thoughts on this scene? It's horrible.
2: Yeah. Like, I mean, it's 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 the the droids are so alive because and and I specifically mentioned as I did earlier at one moment you hear one of them experiencing joy, yeah. and then in this moment you hear them both crying out in pain as they're murdered. It's just so hard and there is again, they're not just robots. Mm-hmm. And you don't even need the fact that the more human characters in the in the show care about them. You just look at their behavior mm-hmm. to realize how not just robots they are. They experience joy, happiness, worry, fear and pain yeah. and they're just murdered and it's so Just upsetting to watch.
1: One of the things I think is interesting is they don't show the droids being shot. The camera moves towards just showing the executioners. And I think that brings it up a level. You know, I don't, nothing comes to mind in terms of how this works, but it's when the violence is implied violence, there's there's an extra measure there. You never see Chrissy crunched by jaws and ripped apart in his teeth. You just see her pulled under the water. You know, right? Something like that. <laughs> it's like it's,
2: or even just to, to reference it again, in Silence of the Lambs, when when Lecter is breaking out of the prison, they move him into later, and he's got the guards' baton, and yeah, says, lay. You only see Hannibal. You don't see the prison guard, but you know that like that guy that that guy's face is going to look like tenderized meat when he's done with that. It'd be, it'd be, like that's how horrific that is, and you don't need to see it to be. Devastating. Exactly
1: right. And just to hit that note again, these, uh, the humanization of the droids by Ahsoka, the dehumanization of the clones by Maul, who's killing them, and by Sidious, who has turned them. It's just all over this episode. We see the tribunal from outside. He's breaking through the atmosphere, and that heat effect begins... Where the edges are beginning to what is that called when you know, when objects are going through the atmosphere like in Apollo thirteen?
0: This is the critical moment where the heat shield hold,
2: where the command mark you'll survive the intense heat of reentry. When they start to combust. Yeah.
1: <laughs> um, Ahsoka and Rex continue facing off against the remaining clones which are below the hangar and we see a string of other space vehicles mostly Y-Wings which are actually on the basement level. So it's like, oh, there's these other potential vehicles, but apparently they're all being fixed. They're going through (laughs) there's lots of cars just none of them have engines. None of them work. (laughs) Yeah. So Rex is running past them all saying Nothing.
0: Nothing. Everything down here is
1: on maintenance. Soka sees one functional ship, and she points it out. Rex says, get me over there, and the Y-Wing, it's a Y-Wing, and it's suspended over empty space, and Ahsoka force throws him across the room, onto the ship, and again, ragdoll. He like gets beat against it, tries to scramble up it. Yep. Don't fall to your death. And as he's there, about 50 clones have begun to line up and are, again, firing at Ahsoka, and she's being backed up by the laser blasts. And then we cut to the command deck, and the deck officer says, We've entered the
0: atmosphere. Fire retro rockets. We've lost that control. We're gonna break apart." The
1: and then the tribunal begins to spin sideways, and it throws everything in the ship sideways, including many of the vehicles. And so all the clones lurch to the right, and the floor slants. And you know, it's essentially the floor becomes, you know, uh, parallel the becomes the wall, and yeah. And Ahsoka does that thing with her lightsabers where she's breaking again, and like pl- here's Spider Man again, she's climbing walls.
2: Yeah, and that's such a great move. Any like I think about Logan doing that with his claws True. on the on the motorcycle, sticking him into the ground to to break and hold himself up. Like that's such a great hero and their
1: weapon move. Yeah, I think that's perfect. I was trying to think of other uses. And then the movement's all going to go outside. Ahsoka lurches, throws herself towards the Y-Wing, but she misses it. The Y-Wing releases and begins spinning out of control with Rex steering. That, that's, I always like these sorts of ima- images in movies. It's uh, Right Stuff does this a bunch, where your your plane is out of control. And and he's mm-hmm. trying. He's doing the right stuff thing where he's he's Jaeger trying to get the uh, the joystick. What do you call those the <laughs> the controls to respond and and get the plane to fly right? It may be me. I'm I'm terrified of flying. And those those scenes oh, yeah. just are like <laughs> <laughs> they're upsetting.
2: No, it it's it is unnerving because it is one of those. It's like you're doing the right thing, but it's not going to work because everything else is so off kilter that it. That's it. Doesn't matter what you do.
1: So Rex is spaying out of control and Ahsoka is now in free fall. And that moon is getting bigger in the window. (laughs) Yeah. But we have seen uh, Ahsoka pulling out her James Bond card in the past. And directing herself through the air without a parachute. (laughs) Learn this from Obi-Wan Kenobi, I'm sure.
2: Who is the James Bond of the uh, Star Wars universe?
1: I heard that Ian McGregor was asked to do James Bond, and he declined in order to do Star Wars or something like that.
2: I I feel like he made the right choice. I just don't see him as a James Bond. Yeah,
1: He would be a Roger Morey, James Bond.
2: But yeah, he would.
1: The writers would probably have to adjust. (laughs) I mean, the
2: guy's charming as hell. Yeah. He's the villain in... Harley mm-hmm. Quinn, Birds mm-hmm. of Prey, and he he's phenomenal as, as that character. Like, very charming, very suave. He just happens to be a psychopath, but, I mean, uh,
1: charming as hell. I still need to watch that movie. There's a mask.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Well, everything's hurtling towards the moon. Ahsoka, Rex, and uh, the rest of the tribunal. <laughs> and this is fairly... Quick, it's not elongated like the the descent to Mandalore, but she pulls a lot of the same moves, running across the top of spaceships and thrusting herself towards Rex. Rex finally gets the controls uh, set and pulls alongside her, and there's a scene with her reaching out, pulling herself towards the Y-wing, and she finally grabs it and gets inside. And when she gets inside, there is no looking. look very pained, and rightly so, because they look to their right, and we just see all of this debris of the tribunal breaking up and falling to the planet. You got thoughts on any of that?
2: Lots of people that they know and have worked with and served alongside of it are on there, regardless of whether or not they've just been trying to kill them. It's still essentially family for these people.
1: You're watching this, you're watching a, a building fall down with people inside that you know or love kind of image there. Uh, yep. That plane is crashing. There are only two uh, two more scenes in this uh show and they are masterfully done.
2: And with almost no dialogue too. Oh. It just it's it's super we impactful. should talk
1: about that real quick. Apparently, none of the Star Wars movies or at least most of the Star Wars movies end with no dialogue. New Hope ends with the ceremony scene. Nobody speaks. Mm-hmm. Empire ends with them on the that medical ship looking
2: staring out at the Nobody galaxy. Nobody speaks.
1: hmm uh, Return of the Jedi ends with Yubnub. I suppose it's a song. But actually in the recut, when Lucas redid it, he added a song that has no lyrics. Oh. Um Rogue One ends with Leia saying hope, but the very last scene is a Vader. Looking at the ship, isn't that right? Maybe I'm getting those backwards in my head. Um, I don't remember. I feel like you're right, at, though. At the very least, uh, the original trilogy all ends with no dialogue. And then Sith ends with Kenobi taking Luke to his uncle and aunt. No dialogue from Kenobi. And with Vader and Sidious looking out at the construction of the dust.
2: Phantom Menace ends with no dialogue, too, because Yoda and Mace Windu talk about the rule of the rule of twos and then yeah. it kind of ends with just a uh, silent shots of Palpatine and then yeah. the celebration on, on, on Naboo.
1: Yeah. It moves to the, the celebration. Anyway, I thought that was interesting. That is very interesting. I mean the, I, I would need to look it back up, but the last lines from Rex and Ahsoka aren't all that important. The, the very last thing we hear from a human being in this episode is going to be breath. This is a good place to talk about this. This is the end of a show. 7 seasons of a show. This isn't like you just went to the movie and then you it was kind of a downer. They spent 7 seasons on this show <laughs> and it ends with a downer. It doesn't end with the upbeat. Like I feel like they really like even Revenge of the Sith has kind of an upbeat element because Luke has been rescued. Obi-Wan has taken his place. There are some things that you could at least celebrate still. It's not completely down. This is down, isn't it?
2: Yeah, it and is. And I
1: love it. <laughs> I don't...
2: It, it works really well, but and I also wonder if you can end on a downer with this because there's a lot of story that's already been mm-hmm. told on the other side of this end. So it's not like, Oh my God, what is going to happen? Yeah. We know. Yeah. So you're able to sort of have a discouraging ending here because we know the continuations of the Mm -hmm. story. So it's not quite as crucial to leave people with a happy ending. Right. Even though the notion of doing so I think is overrated. (laughs) Like everything doesn't end happy.
1: It's not how it works. Another, I mean, uh, just because it affects so much of Filoni's work and Star Wars in general The Hobbit kind of ends on a downer. Bilbo gets to go home, but there's a lot of carnage that you're just kind of left with at the end of that movie. Death of a king. Oh, yeah. armies decimated, and then we're releasing Bilbo back home. But, I mean, in theory, where else are Ahsoka and Rex gonna go but to try and create a new home, you know?
2: Yeah, they're on the run.
1: And I think it's perfectly executed uh, makes it real unique and I am just love the way this show ends
2: yeah it's a great ending
1: it communicates probably what they want to say about the futility of war and that's where the scene goes isn't it we're gonna cut to the crash site the music turns and it's real somber We see the Y-Wing that's there amidst the rest of the wreckage. And we see R7 has been reassembled in, in kind of a pile under the vehicle. And we see Rex putting away a shovel. And he looks back and we see Ahsoka standing in front of a line of thick sticks, each with a clone helmet on top. And these are like makeshift...
2: Graves, grave markers.
1: And, of course, many of the helmets are painted orange to match her face markings. And she's staring at these helmets and these faces that she would have seen hundreds of times. She is standing looking at these helmets in a line. The gravestones are set in formation. Mm -hmm. And she's wearing a cloak, which is going to characterize a lot of her look and I think is really important for this character moving forward. It's
2: how it's how we meet her in Mandalorian.
1: Ahsoka had said earlier to Rex, "You're a good man, and these are good men." And that's I think the primary, a primary here. Any any thoughts on on just that setup? Because I want to talk about grave scenes. Well, I think
2: I think there's some weight in her heart because she specifically says she doesn't want to kill these people and she's not the one who's going mm-hmm. to do it. Yet at the same time, indirectly, she's still alive and everybody else is dead. Yeah. You know, she wasn't able to save everybody, whether she should have or not, but I mean, she's she lived and a bunch of people who she's known for forever are are all gone. Yeah.
1: Lots of loss there and i
2: think you're absolutely right i think it speaks to the like the, the order 66 and then also the this intergalactic war in general you, you are left with absolutely nothing no home no friends no family nothing you are just you're just left with emptiness mm-hmm. it's a kid show <laughs> right
1: <laughs> the in that of all things it's an important uh, message for kids to learn especially in a culture like ours where the strong heroic character using violence to get what they want routinely wins. And in real life, that's, it's not necessarily how power works one and two. It's just, it's not, not, not how at all. Story yeah. Often plays out. Let's talk about grave scenes. I love grave scenes because like, so, like so many of the other big elements that are used in this show, helmets, we're gonna talk about bloody handprints one day, you know. They're swords, they they symbolize things when placed in different contexts. Do you have a, a grave scene that pops to your mind in, in film?
2: Yes, film and then tangentially with it mm-hmm. theater, but Oh sure. The the first when you say grave scenes, the first thing I think about is Hamlet. I got
1: myself a Yorick tattoo.
2: <laughs> so there you go. Best best depiction of that is actually in Kenneth Branagh's adaptation where the gravedigger is played by one billy crystal here's a skull sir now this skull has lain in the
4: earth three and twenty years whose was it horse and mad fellows it was whose do you think it was nay i know not a pestilence on him from mad rogue he poured a flagon of rhenish on my head once the same skull sir was yorick's skull the king's jester In that? Let me see. Alas. Poor Yorick. I knew him, Mauricio. A fellow of infinite jest, of most excellent fancy. He hath borne me on his back a thousand times now how abhorred in my imagination it is my gorge rises at it here hung those lips that I've kissed I know not how oft where be your jibes now your gambols, your songs your flashes of merriment the one to set the table on a roar not one now to mock your own grinning quite Chop fallen now get you to my lady's chamber tell her let her paint an inch thick to this favor she must
3: come make her
2: laugh at that that grave scene and i think grave scenes in general do a really excellent job of telling you that time has passed mm. and that loss has taken place without having to do a bunch of stuff and write a bunch of things saying in this amount of time this has happened and this guy died and this was this and this is that. Like you show up, you know there's been loss. In the case of Hamlet, a grave is being dug for Hamlet Yeah. <laughs> and, and Hamlet learns what has happened in the time that he has left. Mm. In his absence, everything that has transpired, and it's done very, very quickly, and the, the the graves, and specifically in this case, the grave digger is the instrument that says, yeah, this is what's happened.
1: True. I love grave scenes. This is a random place to start, but Ken Burdens did a documentary on baseball uh, a while back, and mm. when the... Red Sox won the World Series. They had won the World Series, as you'll know, for 80, 90 years. And he had a couple of shots after they told the story of of this team in the early 2000s finally winning. He showed a handful of shots of people who had put Red Sox memorabilia on grave sites. And one of them, I recall, just had a program. It was the scorecard. And on the cover, it just said, Dad, they did it. And you could see the years that apparently Dad had lived. And they were all years that the Red Sox never won the World Series. It's just real powerful.
3: If you ask me about my World Series ring with Boston, I will not trade that one for three anywhere else. Because... It means so much. I think growing up, small ones, little boys, little girls, old people, everybody cried in Boston, I think, when we got that World Series.
1: Think about all the people who lived their entire lives without seeing that moment. But it wasn't just about 2004. It was about people's fathers and grandfathers and mothers and grandmothers, and all these people who had waited all these years. They were all connected, and I've never seen a championship in any sport that meant more to people in a region than I saw with the Red Sox in 2004.
2: That phenomenon as a whole is very interesting to me. Yeah. I remember hearing about it with the Red Sox. I remember I remember reading about it um, when the Giants <sighs> won. Just this phenomenon of of the amount of deaths that had happened after these, like these people who have held on for so long for their team to win, and I think
1: oh, I didn't know that. I think huh. that's
2: super interesting. Yeah, there, there has it's not like tons, but but no, um, I, can't, I hear what you're saying. A, a theater podcast I listened to, one of the co-hosts is a huge baseball fan, and he had yeah. brought that up where he was like, "It's it's interesting to see people who are lifelong fans now suddenly feel like they can let go of that because the thing they just held out for for so long, which just plays into." How romantic the idea of yeah. baseball is, and you know me, I don't like baseball. I love the idea of yeah. baseball. I like the sort of the 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 sort of literary romanticism yeah. around it. If baseball didn't exist, something like it would have to be fictionally invented. Yeah. like it, it's because it's because of the weight that it uh, holds. So I think that's super interesting.
1: You and I are going well, I'll take you to a baseball game. and it's a it's different. <laughs> Have you, I'm sure you've been to a Rockies game, I, but go in, go in with a baseball I, yeah. fan, I'll I'll walk you through some stuff. It's fun. It's like going to theater.
2: I, I'm definitely down to do that. I, I'm I'm down. I, and it you know I've been to one baseball game and I loved everything about it except for the baseball game. Yes. And again, I enjoyed everything. I enjoy the uh, theatricality of it. I enjoy the community of it. I enjoy the. Um, perhaps sacrilegious to say, but I enjoy the communal aspect of it.
1: That is exactly what they're selling or presenting. Yeah, I just... It's a religious service.
2: I would go to a baseball game with you, all of that to say. I'm definitely down to do that.
1: (laughs) Remind me when this is all over, I'm taking you to a baseball game. Perfect. I'll I'll show you what's what. Perfect. Uh, One of my favorite things about our town uh, is on Easter, the graveyard sets out little Paper bags with candles in them, and puts it on every single gravesite, and it's it's a it's a overwhelming experience to walk past it.
2: Which which one is it? It's
1: the one on Thirty Fifth Ave.
2: My dad's parents are yeah. there. Yeah. So yeah, I, I'm I'm a little familiar with that one just just from that. Yeah. It's
1: powerful image. One of my favorite moments in all film are the two grave scenes in Logan, when Logan buries Xavier, and then when uh, Laura buries Logan, and then turns the cross on its side. So it's an X ah, crushing. Yeah.
2: You said, you said the the phrase our town twice in the, in the sense of talking about our town, the town that, yeah. that you live in. And I used to live in uh, the play our town. Mm-hmm. Most of the third act takes place in a graveyard huh? and you see both people coming into the graveyard to pay respects to the people they lost. But then you also, you also see these characters who have died. Yeah. Yeah, the actors sit on stage and sort of are the physical representation of their gravestones, but also the souls of these characters and they kind of reflect on what they learned, maybe didn't mm. learn when done right. It's incredibly moving and upsetting and um, it's it's worth a read yeah. if, if you can read it or if if <laughs> if in the future when we're able to gather in, in places again, if there is a production near you happening of our town for that second act with the with the grave yeah, scene, it's powerful. worth going to see. It it hits you. It didn't. I was in it when I I was, I was in a production of that when I was in my early twenties, and I was wildly miscast and didn't appreciate it at the time. But I've since reread it recently as we've all lived in a (laughs) pandemic and are all sort of existentially examining our lives, and it means a whole lot more to me now as as an adult than it did
1: then. True. I'm I'm having to hold off. I'm. I'll bring up you know my my parents' death here quite a few times apparently in this podcast but no, I'm, we're still waiting to bury parent my parents um mm-hmm. because because of cuz we can't get everybody together and tricky right and the, the just and even wanting to have moments like some the burial here in this episode yeah, it just it 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 has that power some of the film grave scenes that hit me is Saving Private Ryan begins and ends you know, with a grave scene. It's a Wonderful Life has a grave scene where here's what you mm-hmm. could have, you know, because you didn't live, this person died. Um, Lethal Weapon has a powerful one. It might just be that Mel, Mel Gibson, I think, is this fantastic <laughs> actor. It exudes a lot of energy. Uh, but he's at the grave of his wife.
2: Christmas Carol, just, to, uh, just in the similar vein of It's a Wonderful Life, Christmas Carol it has a great grave scene. Here's what's coming for you if you don't get it together.
1: Yeah. And it's twofold in that one. It's not only seeing Tiny Tim's grave and what you need to do, your your sins of omission, but then seeing your own gravestone. that's some that's a different kind of thing.
2: And contrasted to the just the sorrow and tragedy of Tiny Tim dying. Ooh, I don't know why this is making me feel emotional. <laughs> I like, don't love a Christmas Carol, but like it, for whatever reason, the just contrast with the sorrow and pain of Tiny Tim dying and seeing the Cratchit family to the to not only the utter indifference but the total disdain for Scrooge's death. Mm-hmm. Yep, at the side of his yep. grave, it's it's just such a it's 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 overdone but but it's done so well.
1: I really I really like the Christmas Carol. And as uh, especially as a theater experience, they do it every year at the Denver Center and always do a great job. Yeah. Uh, Schindler's List ends with a grave scene. All the all these rescued mm. Jews coming out and placing a rock on the the tomb. It's above ground.
2: Oh, like a mausoleum yeah. type tomb, yeah.
1: And then it seems like in terms of just energy, the use of Ben Parker's gravesite and of Martha and Thomas Wayne in in those stories is always, especially for Batman, it just routinely comes up as the source of energy and sorrow and you know motive.
2: Oh yeah, totally. This this one it's. The, the thing you said about there's there being sort of an Arlington-esque formation to the, the placement of the helmets yeah. is, is kind of wonderful because regardless of Order 66, regardless of how they went out, they're still buried as a unit. They're still buried as brothers. They're all together. Yeah. Like they, you know, they started together and they're going to end together. They're, they're together for forever. Yeah. And there's something about the way they're laid out that's powerful like that.
1: I'm glad you brought that up. Because my family, a couple of, like two summers ago, three summers ago, we stayed in Washington, D.C., just two blocks from Arlington. I may have mentioned this already, but we had to walk through the graveyard every day. You know, I I do a lot of work with uh, spiritual topics, with talking to to folks about the life of the soul. I don't have a lot of spiritual experiences that are, like, profound and shaking. But I had one one day Mm. in Arlington walking through it I'd gone on a run and I think the guards were not happy that I was sweaty walking through Arlington National Cemetery I think, <laughs> I think they, they were pref- I'm sure they rightly would have preferred that my I was uh, I had respectfully dressed for It's the humid occasion.
2: as hell in Washington DC that sort of feels like a tall request I, I don't think you're in the wrong there but that's just me
1: it, At this point in time I was wrestling with a bunch of stuff and I remember walking through and that Cemetery is enormous. It really is, and the the number of white gravestones are overwhelming, and their uniformity just creates a power there. If it was just a very different, mismatchy, it would be different. But the fact that they they've kind of stuck by this is what it looks like, unless you're a head of state or something. Um, and I remember feeling, so I, I believe in the afterlife, and I believe that the dead are with us, and that, that's celebrated in my tradition. But I had this overwhelming sense, I am surrounded by people right now, and nothing else is going on except for me mm-hmm. walking by the place that they've made their home. And I had this overwhelming feeling that all these people are cheering for me. And it was it was one it was a singular kind of moment for me. And just feeling that was just powerful. And there's something about being in front of the graves. Mm. That's why all of these moments that we mentioned from film, it's I'm I'm not only extending this person dignity and respect by taking the time to create space for their bodies. We are we are setting aside space for you to honor you into the future, but likewise, what it communicates to us, you know, as we live on.
2: There's a, um, where I live in Chicago, I'm right next to a pretty big Catholic cemetery. It's literally on the other side of my street. And I've spent a decent amount of time walking around there. And there is a very centering and humbling and, and interesting thing that happens if you go in and walk around. And I know some people might think that's disrespectful, but I don't know. It's it's just kind of a nice reminder of like, oh yeah, everything is all these people worried about things too. All these people yeah. felt insecure or sad or or missed their friends or didn't know if they would they had things in their life that they didn't know what it would look like for the future, blah 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 blah. blah. And and uh and they made mm-hmm. it through. So will yeah. you. <laughs> So, yeah, to me, there's something kind of, maybe it's because I'm an artist, I don't know, like there's something very (laughs) like, it just gets me, despite the sort of flippant tone in my voice right now, there's something that is very emotional about that for me and and very important. Yeah. We're making up for not having too much to say about the bulk of this episode because it's all
1: just action. I feel like we're definitely making up for that (laughs) now. We did it. I don't think that that's lost on the creators, maybe. Um, If it were a movie, it would kind of have that that move but oh yeah yeah, the so much of the the meaning not only of the arc but of the whole of the series comes here what are you actually gonna say what's interesting is they don't say anything they give you a bunch of images and there is a ton of you need to interpret these going on
2: well there's even just with the no dialogue too it just feels like we talked about the futility of war and when all of these things are taken away from you to reference Hamlet again, I mean, all the rest is silence. Mm-hmm. When you when you remove everything and you've taken away everything and you've destroyed everything, that's all that's left is this haunting mm-hmm. quietness. It's a kid's show. <laughs>
1: it's a kid's show. Well, the camera in this scene then closes in on Ahsoka's face and she is thoughtful. And the question I think that we should be asking, if we, especially if we watch this a handful of times, I imagine the question might be, what has she learned? What has this experience, this journey all been about? And she doesn't necessarily tell you anything, but it's all there in terms of, I need to think about this whole adventure.
2: The uncertainty of an ending like that is good too. It kind of makes me think of the Coen brothers film burn after reading where all of this stuff mm-hmm. happens and it ends so devastating and poorly. And then there's a scene where they're at the FBI and JK Simmons is the head of the head of the division. And they, they kind of walk through the whole thing. He goes, huh? So what do we learn from all this? And the movie just, ends. <laughs> and like, what? And I love those kinds of yeah. endings. Like, what did we learn from this? That's up to you, I guess, but such is life.
1: <laughs> it's so powerful on that front. This scene In its execution in exactly that way, I imagine that we're going to reference this scene over and over and over again, because it's going to depict a lot of the meaning behind what we see earlier on in Ahsoka's life. For folks watching the show early on, we're growing up alongside her. We are understanding Star Wars and the Galaxy and its characters through her eyes, and this is a decisive point not only for her but for the audience in general and the thing that she does in this moment is she drops her lightsaber what's that about i mean to me it just feels like she's kind of
2: surveying the damage that all of this has wrought and then stepping away from it dropping the thing and being like all right well no if this is the way if the wages of all of this is mm-hmm. that I'm done. Mm-hmm. It's, it's hanging up your guns, you know, to, to go with a Western analogy. Like it's, it's, it's oh, that's,
1: that's a, that's a good, I think that is, it's a culminating moment for her. She has a different outfit. And again, I said, this outfit's going to be important. Filoni likes to pair Ahsoka with Gandalf, the gray. And this is the first time we see her in the robe. That's a, it's this gray image that surrounds her and she will get new lightsabers and she will enter new battles But this one's done. This is her releasing, in part, the person who gave her those lightsabers, yeah?
2: Ooh, yeah.
1: Another, we had brought it up earlier, is important to this episode, but this might be a non-attachment image as well, that she knows that everything Maul said about Anakin being set up to become a destroyer is true, and somehow she knows.
2: And it feels like the dress and the idea of Jedi... Renouncing the, th- I mean, Obi-Wan Kenobi becomes Ben mm-hmm. Kenobi in A New Hope, and he dresses very differently in, in, in post-The Clone Wars and Order 66. It feels like this sort of rejection of these things of the past is very much a Star Wars thing.
1: Yeah, big theme, you know, through, throughout Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Totally. On the obvious side, she might be dropping this saber next to a bunch of dead clone bodies in order to fake her own death. There's obviously wreckage here, and she's placing the saber there such that it might get Ooh. found and picked up and she might be giving permission to say a Jedi hunter to not hunt her anymore because she died. And this I I read part of this as an excuse to Vader. If he understands, if he has a reason to think she's dead, he doesn't need to hunt her anymore, which has been what this episode's been about—hunting her. And it feels like we might read that into some of the stuff in the end. I hadn't even
2: thought about that. I like that.
1: We will know from Rebels, and this isn't a spoiler, but we will know from Rebels uh, that Vader doesn't. Vader thinks she died, in in uh, in Rebels or at least is somewhat surprised to know that she's still alive when news comes his way. If we were to watch the Clone Wars theatrical release, the the very first instantiation of this character, we would see a very young Ahsoka, and she's descending a ramp, and she's introduced to Anakin, and they begin this playful banter. A youngling. And who are you supposed to be? I'm Ahsoka. Master Yoda sent me. And as the Clone Wars ends, she is a seasoned figure. She is much older in spirit than her age seems to exhibit. And as we will see, she elevates throughout this whole series. She elevates above the abuse she receives, the dismissal, the loss, the betrayal, the pain. And in this moment, it feels to me like she stands uniquely Because at this moment, especially since both Yoda and Obi-Wan are in a panic and they are in exile, at this moment, she is the most powerful and capable Jedi in the galaxy. We might even rewrite some Return of the Jedi Yoda saying, you know, or even Obi-Wan saying that Luke is our only hope. I don't know. I don't know how they navigate around this in terms of what they're going to be doing here in the future. But clearly, she's out there, and I would not be surprised if, in the end, she's the one who's actually the one who's the only hope. Actually, I suppose we could read Yoda's language of, no, there's another, into Ahsoka from Return of the Jedi. Obi-Wan says to to Yoda as Luke flies to away. Yoda. That boy's our only hope, and Yoda says, no, there's another. I
2: think actually isn't
1: what he says is that boy was our last hope. Is that what he says? I'll put I'll put it in.
2: I think is the actual line. Yeah, that boy was our last hope, and he says, "Yeah, no, there is another."
1: Oh, Return of the De- Jedi says that Leia is the other.
2: But in the way that this series sort of uh, erases and forgives the mistakes of the past films, uh, I kind of like that idea better.
1: Right. <laughs> the The big picture here, I I love her in this role as. Gandalf in this moment that there may not be an overseer of the galaxy with as much capacity as she has in this moment. Obi-Wan is going to dedicate his life to, to protecting Luke. Yoda is going to totally withdraw and Ahsoka is going to step forward and she will be one of those who starts the rebellion. And like, just in terms of movement, this character, this is a pivotal moment for her and it's also a movement that releases much of what we're going to see in the, you know, the age of the empire to come. Absolutely. You want to talk about the last character here? Let's do it. We need to do a character introduction. <laughs> <laughs> An Imperial shuttle lands on the moon, and we have a sense that time has passed. The crashed cruiser that we saw has rusted, the gravesite's neglected, and we see stormtroopers like those that we see in the original trilogy. And we see Imperial probe droids who have found wreckage. And just as Ahsoka stepped down the ramp to begin the Clone Wars, Darth Vader steps down a ramp to end it. And he alone walks over to the tribunal wreckage. But he senses something. Apparently Kyber has that magnetic pull for Jedis. He reaches down. Under through the snow, and he picks up uh, the lightsaber that Anakin gave to Ahsoka. Again, there are there are tons of beats here, just over and over again. But that's the first. You got you got thoughts on any of that?
2: There are not that many characters that just their presence inspires a specific feel, a specific idea, mm-hmm. a specific remembering seeing him for the first time as an eight-year-old, a specific fear mm-hmm. that you don't even know why because you haven't seen him do anything yet. But but there are not very many characters that just their, the presence of their presence yep. is so impactful. Yep. And and that's what happens in this. You're immediately struck with like, oh.
1: He has that power. He's, he's a new hope for I think a total of eight minutes. It's something silly like that. He's in Rogue One for all of 4 minutes. And yeah. You know, that's exactly right. It's like you know when the king has entered the room. Aren't there there aren't a lot of characters or people who have that level of charisma.
2: Which is so crazy too, right? Cuz it's a it's a it's a tin can. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's he's a Yeah. There's no expressions, no anything uh, on just that unmoving silhouette and yet it's 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 the most powerful uh awe-invoking yep.
1: character i'm sure there's other film references for this the one that pops for me is there's a scene in infinity war where it's you know you're 40 50 minutes into the movie and there's two characters in peril and then all of a sudden a man steps out of the shadows and that's steve rogers and music turns up, and I lost my mind. <laughs> I was like, what? Um,
2: same. And, and I was, uh, up to that point in the films, I don't really love Captain America. Yeah. I think he, I think some of the things that Steve Rogers represents are like the worst parts of America, like that sort of jingoistic sure. nationalism. But But by that point, he's kind of rejected that. He's in the black suit. He's, and for all of the things, thinking about, like, oh, I don't really like that character, the minute he shows up, I was one of the people, like, screaming <laughs> in the movie theater.
1: I suppose recently on that same front, there's another Star Wars scene where this happens, yeah? It happens at the the last episode of The Mandalorian. Next
3: wing. One X-Wing? Great. We're saved.
1: Here. Income that is absolutely true. Yourself? People lose their mind over everything on Twitter, but that was ah. that—that the, had a little extra energy when I think a lot of people didn't realize that was Luke Skywalker.
2: Well, then you should have known at the minute you saw the green lightsaber blade. For God's sake!
1: Well, that—that that helped. <laughs> <laughs> but there it is again, man. Just there's not there's not a lot of uh, not a lot of characters with that level of charisma and it's iconic here right
2: because it's the look it's the it's the well you don't hear the voice obviously but the breathing Mm -hmm. there's only one guy that sounds like that
1: i do remember watching this for the first time this now would have been a year or so ago but i remember being such a fan of the clone wars and then once vader is transposed into this style of animation it it mattered to me in a different kind of way i was like oh they did this I didn't think they would go down this road. And then to see what he does is filled with meaning. He has come to the crash site. He's clearly come to try and find Ahsoka. He's only got a couple of options. He might call out to her to join him to overthrow Palpatine, as sometimes Vader will do, or <laughs> he's there to kill her. And that's the fact that he is hunting this character is how the Clone Wars ends. We moved from him taking her as a Padawan to him hunting her down and then it ends. Man! I almost wonder
2: if there's almost a a haste and a readiness to believe she died or even maybe not but sort of convince himself Mm -hmm. of that so he doesn't have to go hunt her down. You know what I mean? It's like, well, okay, but she's clearly dead then. I guess let's go. You know what I mean? You don't have to continue to look even if there's the small chance you believe she's probably still alive, you can at least go back and say, look, found the thing, she's dead. I don't have to kill my friend.
1: I think that's exactly what this last scene is about, actually. I think it's about there's still some good in him because he s- steps in front of those helmets and is likewise is looking at his former battalion and I'm, I'm sure is emotionally moved. But the igniting the blue saber matters. There's. I, I can only think of a, one other time where he ignites a saber that's not red as Vader, and it's when Luke is trying to convince him there's goodness inside of him, and he's holding the green lightsaber in Return of the Jedi. Yeah. But to put even more of a point on it, you will know this. There's a bird that's flying overhead. Uh, this is a character, another character introduction. This is uh, Mori, and Mori is... A character that we're going to meet in the future. Uh, Morai is uh, a bird that's commonly associated with Ahsoka. The lore behind this bird hasn't been fully unveiled yet, but you should see this bird as a manifestation of the light side of the Force. He's holding this blue lightsaber and the light side of the Force is circling overhead and he looks up and you'll know this, he's looking up and it's like the light is on his face and he's looking at it as though this is really meaningful. And then he closes the saber, turns his back, and goes back to the Empire. The, all those images, I think, are just kind of tucked together in a really mm-hmm. elegantly pictured you know, set of beats. A
2: character in a black mask, and yet, so much emotion is happening yeah. there both in the live action films and in the animated films. I guess a lot of it is how me- silence and music and everything else plays into it and, and I don't know how much of it is us projecting our own emotional thoughts about the scenes onto the sort of quote blank canvas of that right. helmet. But regardless, and in any way you want to choose to believe it there's so much emotion on that mask. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. And again, <laughs> think of another character with that sort of yeah. power. To, to, to do that and i i really hard pressed to think of one
1: it hit our parents at a jungian level and even worse us who are seeing you know these tales these are the myths of our generation and this is the yeah. guy who is the embodiment of darkness and and the stories invite us into you know a more complex character with complex motives and his Breaking Bad story and his redemption yeah. might be worth spending. Should we, you know what we should do? We should we should start a podcast about that.
2: That's, I've, <laughs> yeah, I think so.
1: He turns and walks away, and we see the the very last scene: the helmet of the clone cracked and discarded on the ground, with the image of Vader in the visor. Uh,
2: that, that's a that's a hell of a parting shot,
1: right? It's just again there's not there's nothing that in star wars like endings just nothing compares with this agreed that's what i got brother got a last word on this episode or on this arc in general
2: i know i've said this before <laughs> and i'm sure we'll say it again but this arc is is just star wars at its best yeah if if you wanted to slice something out and put it on a plate for somebody and say Here's why I care about this stuff and here's why I think you should mm-hmm. too. This would be one of the things to do that with. But like wh- this arc has everything that you that you that we've all fallen in love with Star Wars about. There's really funny moments, there's really tender moments. There's moments where all you can say about it is that is so mm-hmm. cool. It's got all of the ingredients that make Star Wars such a lastingly important thing both in my personal life and just like the cultural impact that it has in general mm. like that's this is this is one of those arcs that remind you of why star wars is such a great property
1: agreed i've said before this a uh, top three movie if you make it into a movie for me this arc and again just culminates in such a fantastic creative um, it's entirely Star Wars and it's also something we've never seen and um, that's hard to pull off
2: yeah it's familiar and new all at once which yeah how the hell do you do that and do it well like it's 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 so good
1: yeah yep. This is also the reason that we're starting with the Prolopsis here at the beginning is for exactly the reasons that you were saying this is a fantastic entry point yeah and if you if you buy into some of these characters here I'm ready to go go down the road with with them. In, in terms of how did they get here? Such stellar storytelling that it can be moved and transposed, put, put in different places in the telling of this galaxy.
2: And how many other things do you have, right? Where like the characters were important in the 70s. <laughs> right. And they're also important in
1: 2021. Yeah. Such an interesting time for storytelling that, you know, we've moved from sequels as the big thing to... Building of universes, and there's really just two universes out there for storytelling. It's Marvel and Star Wars. No one else has figured out how to do it.
2: Technically, there are more, but I think in terms of knowing how to do it yeah, well, that's right. More, I mean, it's it's Marvel and Star I suppose, Wars. God love DC. They are right. trying.
1: <laughs> I suppose the one other place that you see this is in just human history. My wife's a historian, and just here, you just say the <laughs> yeah, universes you know, the American story, or the Russian story, or, you know, the Chinese story. And you say, and there's a universe, you have all these characters that overlap and interlock, but here when you're creatively storytelling, uh. all right, well, you wanna hear what's up next? of course we're gonna jump back to the beginning we're gonna tackle two wonderful episodes to start us out this is the landing at point rain and weapons factory and these are set in season two of the clone wars so when you find them on the disney plus this is season two Uh, i believe it's episode nine and ten but i'm saying that from memory Uh, but it's somewhere there in the middle yeah for my money And you can, since we've already recorded these episodes, you can affirm or disconfirm. We're going to speak extensively about these two episodes, but these are great introductions Mm -hmm. to young Ahsoka and young Anakin and the war in general. Oh, I
2: completely agree.
1: Lots of World War II going on here. Uh, Lots of band of brothers. And since it's a band of brothers, we should invite some brothers to be on the show, don't you think? I think
2: that's a great idea, yeah. I I happen to have one. Do you? Do you? I do
1: Josiah Mothershed is actually A fervent Star Wars fan He's going to join us uh, For the next two episodes As we talk shop About uh, the second battle of Geonosis Which as I say it sounds kind of boring But these are really stellar uh, Storytelling here Again we brought up some Tolkien recently But there's a a lot of Tolkien going on In these, these battles And they're fun They really are Hey, as with all podcasts, this one's only going to survive if you share it with passion to friends who love a galaxy far, far away. You can find the introduction to our binge list online, and we would love for you to share your thoughts with us on the Twitter. We will definitely see those and read those. Music's by Samuel Kim, John Adams, John Adams, John Williams.
2: That guy was a real renaissance man.
1: (laughs) And the great Kevin Kiner. He's Daniel Mothershed. He's a good man. And those guys trying to kill you, Dan? Are willing
3: to
0: die and take you and me along with them.
1: They're also good men. True. Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm Jeff Cook. Much like being a commander anyway. For a captain or sir, you know why, Daniel? This is the way. It's because this is the way. This is the way. Sorry.